1: on WAVA and across the country on WAVA.com. Late last week, Bob Gates, the president for the Boy Scouts of America, announced his intent to champion yet another major change in scouting. Most of you remember that in 2013, the scouts made the move to allow openly gay scouts as members, but would not allow openly gay scout leaders. It was a compromise move that was sure to please no one. Now, Bob Gates, a name you'll recognize as our nation's former Secretary of Defense, has called for a policy that would allow for openly gay men to serve as scout leaders. That is, unless the scout troop's sponsoring body is a theologically conservative religious group. Here's Gates from the annual meeting of the scouts. The one thing we cannot do is put our heads in the sand and pretend that this
2: challenge will go away or abate. Quite the opposite is happening. I assure you I have no hidden agenda. I want only to apprise you of the new reality that I see, that both internal and external events and pressures over the past year and looking to the future will require
1: action at some point. So how will this go over? Let's turn to my colleague
3: Bill Bunkley from Faith Talk WTBN in Tampa. Anyway, he says waiting for the courts is a gamble with huge stakes. Alternatively, we can move at some future date, but sooner rather than later, to seize control of our own future, set our own course, and change our own policy in order to allow charter partners, unit-sponsoring organizations, to determine the standards for their scout leaders. Such an approach would allow all churches, which sponsor some 70% of our scout units, to establish leadership standards consistent with their faith. We must, at all costs, preserve the religious freedom of our church partners to do this. Risky, risky move. Risky move, indeed. Our oath calls upon us to do our duty to God and our country. The country is changing and we are increasingly at odds with the legal landscape at both the state and federal levels. And as a movement, we find ourselves with a policy more than a few of our church sponsors reject, thus placing scouting between a boy and his church. The challenges are before us now. The Executive Committee, the National Committee Board, and our legal counsel will work to determine the responses and our best strategy. We wait and value your thoughts on all of this, recognizing the importance of protecting our core values. I would just say that you've already not protected, the core value of the Boy Scouts of America. The one thing we cannot do is put our heads in the sand and <coughs> pretend this challenge will go away or abate. Quite the opposite is happening. I know my regards, my, re, my remarks, this is Robert Gates, on this subject unsettle many of you. Some of you might be angry that I raised this subject, and with that I have said, but this movement shaped my life and my only purpose, my only reason for assuming this leadership role is to preserve the Boy Scouts of America in recognition of all it has done for this country and all it can do and must do in the future. Scouting is needed in this country now more than ever. I assure you that I have no hidden agenda. Others would disagree, Mr. President Gates. I want only to appease you, apprise you of the new reality I see, that both internal and external events have pressures over the past year and looking to the future will require action at some point. For now, I ask that in the days and months ahead, everyone here reflect and pray on our path forward. We can act on our own or we can be forced to act, but either way, I suspect we won't have a lot of time. For me, I support a policy that accepts and respects our different perspectives and beliefs, allows religious organizations based on the First Amendment protection of religious freedom to establish their own standards for adult leaders, and preserves the Boy Scouts of America now and forever. I truly fear that any other alternative would be the end of us as a national movement. Mr. President, Mr. President Gates, let me be one of the first to tell you, Those who support gay rights, homosexual rights in this country, those organizations are not going, they're going to call for a boycott. They're going to call for a boycott, Mr. Gates, because they are not going to be happy with you trying to develop a plan where churches can preserve their religious conscience. I think you're in a dreamland, Mr. President. I really do. Or maybe your lawyers now for the Boy Scouts of America are so out of touch with what's happening in this country. The homosexual movement is going to only be happy when one thing happens. And that is when the national office devises a policy that anyone who has a Boy Scout troop must allow homosexual leadership regardless of any religious beliefs or religious protections that's what's going to happen and so i'm going to make a prediction here ace you can write this down that there's going to be more and more corporations pulling their support and they're already bleeding already but more corporations who are already very pro-homosexual in agenda in terms of agenda wise They are going to be coerced by the homosexual leadership organizations in this country to pull support from the Boy Scouts of America until that policy of homosexual leadership is mandatory. As most of our audience is well aware, there's not a whole lot of tolerance when it comes to the homosexual agenda to those of us of men and women of faith. In
1: Oregon last week, Governor Kate Brown signed into law a bill that bans so-called conversion therapy. Also referred to as reparative therapy, Oregon joins California, New Jersey, and Washington, D.C. in making it illegal for anyone under the age of 18 to seek help for unwanted same-sex attraction. This is not just an issue of sexual orientation. This is an issue of freedom. Listen carefully to the message from Ann Paul. The executive director of Restored Hope Network was a guest of Georgine Rice on KPDQ in Portland.
4: I guess we're not altogether surprised that the ban passed here in the state of Oregon, given the makeup of our legislature. Um, but w- it, my understanding is there is not any kind of provision for uh, church counselors or those who um, whose practice is informed by their Christian faith.
5: That is absolutely true. Um, and during the Senate committee hearing, which I happened to testify at, the senator said there is no need for a Christian or a religious exemption for those who practice. So they repeatedly stated that as if that were the, the fact. In fact, that is absolutely the opposite. Uh, people, the people, even uh, recognized by the APA, that come to counselors looking for help along these lines, and this is literally directly from the, uh, uh, the APA, the American Psychological Association Task Force report, here it is. Other forms of uh, well, there people attend because of religious reasons. And specifically, it says, further, we found that religious individuals with beliefs homosexuality is sinful and morally unacceptable are prominent in the population that currently undergoes sexual orientation change efforts. Um, so what they're trying to do is prohibit those individuals from getting the help that they want, that they are seeking, uh, in favor of you must embrace homosexuality as a good and normal thing. Uh, In fact, many of the bills state that, that because homosexuality is a normal and desirable variant of human sexuality, therefore we are enforcing this law. That's what it says in the California law and in the New Jersey law. Um, So this is a really problematic area for Christians in particular that, that may have same-sex attractions but do not wish to embrace those things as being good or right or true or defining of who they are. And yet now, if a counselor goes to help someone along those lines that the individual is seeking for someone who's 18 or younger, or younger than 18, they could possibly lose their license, they could be uh, uh, fined, they can have criminal action brought against them, and the fines that they could be required to pay will go towards funding the the government arm, the state arm, that will find the individuals. So, in other words, there is a feeding system. If you find a whole bunch of people, you get a lot of money, um, and you know there's a, a bias in in that way as well.
4: My understanding is, and one of my concerns is this population. There's a young person who is sexually molested, perhaps by someone of the same sex. I'm not suggesting that all molestations are motivated by same-sex attraction. This is just a single scenario. If that were to occur and a child then struggles with understanding their sexuality and a parent wants to um, take that child in for counseling under the, the law signed um, by the Governor this past Monday, that child cannot be counseled uh, if they're if they're struggling with same sex attraction as a as a follow up or a consequence of their um, abuse. They cannot be count, uh, counseled um, on how to reject that uh, that temptation to move toward that orientation. I'm not stating it very well, but I think you get the general idea.
5: I certainly do, and you're absolutely right. oftentimes when children a boy or a girl is molested by an adult. Um, And, by the way, that's a way that 13- to 18-year-olds are contracting HIV and AIDS right now from someone who actually has HIV and AIDS, who's an adult who's transmitting it to them. And that's according to CDC stats. So we're not just talking the emotional, we're talking the medical reality that can follow them through life as well. But, honestly, if you do not allow that person to work through the issues of their molestation, And deal with really conflicted feelings about sexualized feelings towards someone who took advantage of them, then you are committing this individual to the ultimate of of conflict internally. That is going to cause a lot of distress for kids who are facing such a scenario. And that is just not right to do to kids in the state of Oregon or any
1: state in the U.S. Coming up, more gains from the Islamic State.
6: Was his real motivation for removing all of our troops from Iraq in December 2011, political or strategic? Stay with us.
1: The Christian Outlook will be right back.
7: Tom Lewis for Cross International. You know, there are some children that need your help right now, children in the countries of Uganda and Kenya. Cross International, through a series of unique partnerships with our churches and pastors there, have discovered that there are families willing to receive children right into their home, but they've asked for a little help with resources like food, medicine, clothing, school supplies for those children that they are bringing into their home off in the streets. These are children with no mom and no dad. And literally your single gift of $68 per child provides everything they need for a full year and places them in that home with those parents. My friend, would you be willing to make that sacrificial gift right now? Maybe you could rescue a full family of five kids for just $340 as a single gift. Maybe you could rescue 10 children right now at 888 939-2009 or online at SolidGospel.com.
8: A Silicon Valley CEO is fired for opposing same-sex marriage. A teenage girl is attacked on campus for protesting abortion. And a college club loses formal recognition for being Christian. This is the country we live in today, an America where people are punished for expressing themselves and then bullied into silence. If you don't agree with a certain liberal agenda, you're targeted for silencing. This is Eric Metaxas, and my good friend Kirsten Powers chronicles this frightening new trend in her brand-new book titled The Silencing, How the Left is Killing Free Speech. With fearless candor, Kirsten gives us example after example of men and women who've been punished for expressing opinions that have been suddenly deemed unacceptable. The Silencing is a much-needed wake-up call for everyone who cherishes liberty. Who will be the next victim of the silencing?
9: Kirsten Power's book, The Silencing, How the Left is Killing Free Speech, from Regnery Publishing, is now available at Amazon.com, Costco, and bookstores everywhere.
10: Hi, this is Dennis Prager. Those of you who have listened to me over the years know that I'm preoccupied with right and wrong, with good and evil. In fact, I'm fixated on goodness. I admit it, it's a preoccupation. And the ancient truths that inform my understanding of goodness are the subject of my latest book. It's out now and called The Ten Commandments, Still the Best Moral Code. This book and the DVD that accompanies it is a project that in a very real sense I've been working on and working from for over four decades. Join me as I explain how in 3,000 years no one has ever come up with a better system than The Ten Commandments for making a better person and a better world. And no one ever will.
9: Dennis Prager's book and DVD from Regnery Publishing, The Ten Commandments, Still the Best Moral Code, is also available in a children's edition book. They're available now at DennisPrager.com and bookstores everywhere.
1: Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm your host, Don Crow. Over the past two weeks, we've watched a number of very significant gains from the Islamic State. On May 17th, ISIS took control of the city of Ramadi in Iraq. Then on May 22nd, they took control of the ancient city of Palmyra in Syria. Both of these are very significant gains in their own right, but they raise a very key question. How effective is our strategy in the region? And what was the president's motive in leading us to where we are today? I turn to Terry Jeffrey of CNS News. This is one of those profound uh, things that's just hard to even imagine that a man could make such blatant statements then and then by his own action as you know put us back to where we are now and what's he saying now about the Iraqi war the Iraq situation.
6: Well, very quietly the other day he d- declared an extension of a national emergency, quote unquote for the United States because of the situation in Iraq. And the reason he did that, we've actually apparently had a national emergency there ever since 2003. But declaring a national emergency triggers provisions and all sorts of laws that allows the president to use his war powers in certain ways that he would not be able to do if he didn't declare a national emergency. And there's an expiration on it, and uh, it comes up in 90 days, so he had to renew it. So President Obama is forced into a position – where in order to do the things, some of the things he thinks he needs to do, vis-a-vis what's going on in Iraq, he has to declare a national emergency, vis-a-vis Iraq, this week.
1: And of course, it begs the question: Why did he decide? In of course, we know the uh, political reasons for which he did it. But he pulled the last troops out of the U.S. in Iraq in 2011, bragged about ending the war, and uh, has anyone effectively challenged him on that? Uh, uh, on that decision in the day since
6: well you know I think people have challenged them I don't think people have paid enough attention to it and I think there's a lot of um, a lot a lot of the political discussion about what what's happened in Iraq and why it's happened in Iraq I think it's been pretty shallow quite honestly but I think it, it, it was it, it was not a wise decision I think an intelligent and a studious person at the time, could have seen it was not a wise decision in December of 2011 to pull all of our troops out of Iraq. At the time, we were not suffering significant casualties there, and the presence of our troops was keeping a relative peace in the country. And uh, as you know, those quotes you cited at the beginning of this segment, this, these were quotes, as soon as Obama pulled those troops out, and we no longer had troops on the ground in Iraq, He went out on the campaign trail, and it made a major theme in his speeches at rallies all across the country that he had ended the war in Iraq and that he had succeeded in doing so, and he left behind a peaceful and stable Iraq, which I think, Don, raises a pretty obvious question. Was his real motivation for removing all of our troops from Iraq in December 2011 political or strategic? Did he do it to have a campaign issue to run on, or did he do it because that was truly in the best interest of the United States at that time?
1: On that latter point, I don't have it in front of me, but I've heard uh, indirectly and uh, seen references to it as well, that at that time... Uh, there was not strong military su- military leadership support for him to take this action. There were generals who were saying this was not the move to make or the time to do it.
6: I, I think that's right. And uh, let me put something in perspective. I've, I've, I've written about this before, and I think this is something that doesn't get enough attention. And it, it's pertinent to our future decision-making vis-a-vis Iraq and some other areas in the Middle East. The, the group that now calls itself Islamic State was started by Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, who was a Jordanian who started a, gr- a terrorist group back in the late 1990s. I mean, so this group has been around since about 1999. It started murdering Americans in 2002, killed a USAID official in Amman, Jordan. Although we killed Zarqawi, we did not eradicate his terror group. In fact, we killed three of the major leaders of, of uh, what's now called the Islamic State during that time. And we, even though we had a significant military presence on the ground, we did not eradicate the Islamic State. And, of course, we know what it's doing now today. So I think people need to keep that in mind when they're when they're presenting prescriptions for what it is the United States should do today to counter the Islamic State because eight years of an Iraqi occupation that was in part targeted at eliminating the Iraqi state failed to do so.
1: As we see the dramatic gains coming from radical Islam generally and from the Islamic State in particular, we are right to ask ourselves how much of a threat are they to us here in the United States and... How should we assess this threat relative to other sorts of threats we're facing? Bob Burney turned to Pastor Robert Jeffers, the voice you might recognize from his Pathway to Victory radio program, joined Bob on WRFD in Columbus, Ohio.
11: How dangerous is the threat to is of the threat of Islam to America today?
12: Well, I think it's a very real threat, of course, just a couple of weeks ago here in our Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We had those two at least ISIS-inspired gunmen who tried to disrupt that event here. So I believe it's a real threat, and as I point out in my book, Countdown to the Apocalypse, it is very clear that in the future, uh, radical Islam will play a large part in the events of the end times. Uh, You know, in uh, Revelation 9 and 16, there's the talk about the 200-million-man army that will come from the east. I Mm -hmm. think that very well could be a... Coalition of Muslim Nations in Ezekiel 38... There is a coalition of Muslim nations, including Iran. Ezekiel mentioned Iran that will attempt to invade Israel. You know, interestingly, Bob, in Revelation 20, verse 4, John, looking in the future, said, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because they would not take the mark of the beast. And we used to read that and say beheaded. Who in the future would ever uh, return to that arcane type of execution as beheading Well, I think we have the answer today. So I think radical Islam is a threat. But I had said Sunday when I was talking about Christian persecution in America, I said the greatest single threat to religious liberty in America today is not ISIS. It's the Chamber of Commerce. I mean, big business, we saw it again today, is, uh, is, is partnering with the radical left to try to defeat any religious freedom bills that would protect Christians who don't believe in gay marriage From having to uh, compromise their basic beliefs. And uh, look, we can debate gay marriage all day and all night, but the fact is there is no explicit constitutional right to gay marriage, Mm -hmm. but there is a very explicit First Amendment right to the free exercise of one's religious beliefs. And that's what I'm concerned about. What we're seeing right now is the abrogation of religious liberty here in Mm -hmm. America.
11: Well, I am convinced that same-sex marriage and religious freedom are incompatible they cannot exist side by side. If if we as a nation embrace, and we're very close to that now, same-sex marriage, there cannot be true religious liberty. I, I'm really convinced of well, that.
12: Well, there's not going to be, because once you elevate gay marriage to a civil, uh, a civil right, anybody who opposes it will be guilty of a civil rights violation. And I was in Washington, D.C. this weekend. I heard Mike Lee on the Senate Judiciary Committee say that he was in the Supreme Court room, hearings, the oral arguments, and four different times the, uh, Donald Varelli, the solicitor general for Obama, when asked by Judge Alito, isn't this going to be a problem for churches and religious organizations? He said four different times, I do not deny this is going to be an issue. I do not deny this is going to be an issue. That ought to wake us up.
1: Coming up, the nation of Ireland votes to embrace same-sex marriage. What we're looking at
11: here is, as the Associated Press reported, a stunningly lopsided result that illustrates what Catholic leaders and rights activists alike called a social revolution. Stay with us.
2: If you had $25,000 to bet against Warren Buffett, would you? Hi, I'm Nicholas Vardy, a London-based money manager, and I've put $25,000 of my own money on the line against one of the most successful investors of our time. And I'm so confident I'll beat the Oracle of Omaha, I've decided to go public and share the details of my bet against Buffett on my website, nicolasvardy.com. There, I'll also tell you two ways you too can beat Buffett. One strategy is up an incredible 1,456% over the last 14 years versus 252% for Buffett. To get my free special report on my bet against Buffett plus two ways you can beat Buffett too, visit www.NicholasVardy.com. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-V-A-R-D-Y.com. NicholasVardy.com
9: from pop culture to academia to politics, Christianity is portrayed as built on ancient myths and the Bible nothing more than a collection of fairy tales. But the critics' arguments against Christianity and Jesus are far weaker than they first appear. In his latest New York Times bestseller, Jesus on Trial, author and lawyer David Limbaugh confronts the skeptics head-on. Applying his expert legal eye to the evidence, Limbaugh produces powerful arguments to show the Bible's historical accuracy and truthfulness in a way that you've never heard or read before. Part personal testimony, part Christian apologetic, part informative evaluation of the facts, and part primer on theology. Jesus on Trial provides readers with a remarkable reaffirmation of their faith while offering a challenge to skeptics that cannot be ignored. Read why the gospel's account of Jesus' resurrection is far more convincing than any other explanation of his fate, why the evidence of the resurrection of Christ is crucial, and much more. Get your copy of Jesus on Trial today at your local or online bookstore.
0: CCM Magazine, free and now twice Twice. every month. That's right, the CCM Magazine you've always loved now has two free online editions every month. Hear the music. Listen to the interviews. See the videos of your favorite contemporary Christian artists. Enjoy CCM Magazine online now with two, two new issues each and every month. Your free digital subscription is at CCMMagazine.com. Log on now and find out more about
13: Francesca Battistelli.
0: Getting real on her latest record.
13: John McDonald.
0: Showing off his brave side. Third day. Tearing it up on the concert trail with Skillet. Radio The music you love, the artists who make it, all come alive in the digital pages of CCM Magazine. And now with two new issues every month, get your free online subscription now at CCMMagazine.com.
9: American history is filled with heroes from every walk of life, but our children aren't learning about them. That's why our friends at Regnery Publishing have partnered with Peanuts to bring you a new series of books that children and parents are going to love. Imagine learning about the heroes of American history from Snoopy, Charlie Brown, Linus, and the rest of the Peanuts gang. These beloved characters have captured the hearts of generations. Now Charlie Brown and friends are back to teach kids about great inventors like Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Bell. Great explorers like Lewis and Clark and great humanitarians like Clara Barton and Rosa Parks. The three new books are called What's the Big Idea, Charlie Brown? Where are you going, Charlie Brown? And who cares, Charlie Brown? Each book is fully illustrated and features brand new stories written for children ages 4 through 8, along with kid-friendly biographies and activity pages. Don't wait. Get your copy of these new Peanuts classics from Regnery Publishing at your local or online bookstore today.
1: Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm your host, Don Crow. A week ago Friday, the nation of Ireland held a referendum on same-sex marriage. Remember, this is Ireland, where 72% of the people identify themselves as Roman Catholic. The results of the vote? I'll let Albert Moeller unpack this one for us. Here's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary from his briefing program.
11: There have been several important headlines over the last several days. The most important comes from Ireland, where the nation of Ireland became the very first on the planet to legalize same-sex marriage by vote. In this case, by a vote of the people, by a referendum. As the Associated Press reported, Ireland citizens have voted in a landslide to legalize gay marriage. And what we're looking at here is, as the Associated Press reported, a stunningly lopsided result that illustrates what Catholic leaders and rights activists alike called a social revolution. Indeed, it is, of course, a social revolution, and behind that, it is more fundamentally a worldview and a moral revolution. Looking at the way The Economist reported it from London, as they said, the sizable majority reflects a dramatic shift in public attitudes in Ireland, a socially conservative country where 84% of the population regard themselves as Catholic. Now, one of the interesting aspects of all of this is that there is a theological dynamic that simply has to be noted here. For instance, you have a distinction between Catholicism in Ireland and Catholicism in the United States. Irish Catholics have higher rates of attending church than do Catholics in the United States by statistics. And one of the most interesting things about Ireland is how much lower the divorce rate there is among practicing Roman Catholics. The very heavy Catholic influence in Ireland has been a fundamental fact of its moral and social existence, so much so that Ireland decriminalized homosexuality only in 1993 and only under pressure of other European nations and the European Human Rights Court. Archbishop of Dublin, Dermot Martin, said that one of the most interesting aspects to him was the loss of the grip of the Roman Catholic Church not only on the nation of Ireland, but in particular on the young. Before looking at the archbishop's comments, it will be important to note just how overwhelming the vote was. Younger Irish citizens voted by the rate of 71% for the legalization of same-sex marriage. Speaking of those very young people, the archbishop said, quote, I ask myself, most of these young people who voted yes are products of our Catholic school system for 12 years. I'm saying there's a big challenge to see how we get across the message of the church, end quote. Another very important theological dimension of this story was made clear by Mark Silk, a columnist now for Religion News Service. He wrote, The stunning vote of the Irish to legalize same-sex marriage will be taken as one more indication of the collapse of the Catholic Church in a country where it once bestrode the sod like a colossus. That's poetic, but it's also quite accurate. Silk went on to point out that even though Ireland is overwhelmingly Roman Catholic by the identification of its citizens, And even as it's a country where a higher proportion of Catholics go to mass than in the United States, even there, every Irish political party, he says, supported the referendum, and the citizens of Ireland voted in favor by a 62-38 margin. He then asked the leading question, what gives? It's his answer to his own question that is really important. He writes, and I quote, What gives in part is that Catholicism, understood as a religious culture rather than a set of official doctrines, is far more amenable to same-sex marriage than is generally thought. Unlike Protestantism, it never valorized the nuclear family as the church in miniature. Catholics have, by contrast, he writes, exercised their analogical imaginations in understanding nuns as married to Jesus and bishops to their diocese. Priests are fathers. Abbeys are governed by mother superiors. Monks are brothers. Nuns are sisters. In Catholicism, he says, There have always been different kinds of holy families that love makes, and so why not add one more? It's no accident, he says, that Catholics in the United States, white, Hispanic, and otherwise, support same-sex marriage at the same rate, he says, as the Irish voted, end quote. There's a lot of theological insight in Mark Silk's article. It will be very interesting to see how Catholics respond to Silk's proposals. There are so many lessons coming in from the Irish referendum. Of course, there is a lesson about the young. And if we do not start with the young people in our own homes and in our own churches, we can't possibly hope to have any larger influence on the young people outside of our homes and outside of our churches. That affirms once again the importance of teaching our own children, teenagers, and young adults the faith once for all delivered to the saints on a biblical authority and giving those young people arguments and reasons whereby they can defend their claim to Christian truth. The other thing we have to understand is that if our definition of marriage and our understanding of what marriage is and must be is drawn from anything other than Scripture, and if we understand Scripture to be anything other than the Word of God, then we will not hold to this definition of marriage for long. The secularization of the culture around us explains why the culture in the United States and in so much of Northern Europe is following a predictable pattern, losing its grip on the biblical definition of marriage because long before that, it lost its confidence in the authority of Scripture as the Word of God.
1: Coming up, should your commitment to a local church be optional?
14: Those two options are not presented by the Lord to His people.
1: When the Christian Outlook returns, stay with us.
10: this is Dennis Prager. Those of you who have listened to me over the years know that I'm preoccupied with right and wrong, with good and evil. In fact, I'm fixated on goodness. I admit it, it's a preoccupation. And the ancient truths that inform my understanding of goodness are the subject of my latest book. It's out now and called The Ten Commandments, still the best moral code. This book and the DVD that accompanies it is a project that in a very real sense, I've been working on and working from for over four decades. Join me as I explain how in 3,000 years, no one has ever come up with a better system than the Ten Commandments for making a better person and a better world. And no one ever will.
9: Dennis Prager's book and DVD from Regnery Publishing, The Ten Commandments, Still the Best Moral Code, is also available in a children's edition book. They're available now at DennisPrager.com and bookstores everywhere.
8: A Silicon Valley CEO is fired for opposing same-sex marriage. A teenage girl is attacked on campus for protesting abortion. And a college club loses formal recognition for being Christian. This is the country we live in today, in America where people are punished for expressing themselves and then bullied into silence. If you don't agree with a certain liberal agenda, you're targeted for silencing. This is Eric Metaxas, and my good friend Kirsten Powers chronicles this frightening new trend in her brand-new book titled The Silencing, How the Left is Killing Free Speech. With fearless candor, Kirsten gives us example after example of men and women who've been punished for expressing opinions that have been suddenly deemed unacceptable. The Silencing is a much-needed wake-up call for everyone who cherishes liberty. Who will be the next victim of the silencing?
9: Kirsten Power's book, The Silencing, How the Left is Killing Free Speech, from Regnery Publishing, is now available at Amazon.com, Costco, and bookstores everywhere.
0: CCM Magazine, free and now twice Twice every month. That's right. The CCM Magazine you've always loved now has two free online editions every month. Hear the music, listen to the interviews, see the videos of your favorite contemporary Christian artists. Enjoy CCM Magazine online now with two Two. new issues each and every month. Your free digital subscription is at ccmmagazine.com. Log on now and find out more about
13: Francesca Battistelli.
0: Getting real on her latest record. Sean McDonald. Showing off his brave side. Third day. Tearing it up on the concert trail with Skillet. The music you love, the artists who make it, all come alive in the digital pages of CCM Magazine. And now, with two new issues every month, get your free online subscription now at CCMMagazine.com.
15: Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt from my friends at Regnery Publishing, and boy, they have got a breakthrough. They have partnered with Peanuts. That's right. American history is filled with heroes from every walk of life, but our kids are not learning about them. But Regnery Publishing now has a new partnership with the Peanuts characters. They're going to bring you a new series of books that children and parents are going to love. Imagine learning about the heroes of American history from Snoopy, Charlie Brown, Linus, and the rest of the Peanuts gang. Now Charlie Brown and friends are back to teach kids about great inventors like Thomas Edison, And Alexander Graham Bell, great explorers like Lewis and Clark, great humanitarians like Clara Barton and Rosa Parks. The three new books are called What's the Big Idea, Charlie Brown? Where Are You Going, Charlie Brown? and Who Cares, Charlie Brown? Each book is fully illustrated and features brand new stories written for children ages 4 through 8, along with kid-friendly biographies and activity pages. Don't wait. Get your copy of these new Peanuts classics from Regnery Publishing at your local or online bookstore today.
1: Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm your host, Don Crow. If you've been a Christian for any number of years, I imagine you've heard someone make the case that they can be a Christian without going to church or that you really don't need church to grow in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Is it true? What we really ought to be asking ourselves is what does the Bible tell us? Let's turn to author and pastor Dan Delzel. He joined Frank Sontag on KKLA in Los Angeles. Is there any validity
16: in the conversation to even begin to share about the very reasons why Jesus first instituted the church? Well, I
14: I think there is, Frank. You know, yesterday it was really interesting. We, as our family, had something kind of fun happen. You know, uh, uh, Tammy and I, we've been married 25 years this year, and we've got four kids ages 17 to 22. And ever since they were young, Frank, we've taken them to Florida. And uh, last year we went again. And uh, we stayed for the first time in this five-story condominium. And in order to get to the beach, you cross the street. There's a gate there. You punch in the code. Then you kind of walk on this, this path about 100, 150 yards to the beach, beautiful water out there in the Gulf. So yesterday, I'm just kind of reacquainting myself with that area because we're going to take them there to the same place this year. Lo and behold, Frank, I go on to Google Maps. I look on the street view. I'm recognizing what I'm seeing. Uh, Here's the five-story condo to the left. I I look over to the right. Here's the gate. There are four people standing at the gate. Lo and behold, it's our four kids. You know, the Google car uh, was obviously going by at the very time that they were there at the gate last year, which obviously we've gotten quite a kick out of. But here's my point, Frank, to go into that. Um, In the Bible, when you have a reservation in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's equivalent to having a reservation um, at, at that five-story condominium. Now, if you're staying there, you, you, you're given a code. And when you cross the street, you get to punch the code in and go through that gate and go on out to the beach. Um, the life of discipleship was never intended to take place in your room, sitting alone. Once you have your reservation, once you repent and believe the good news, once you come to know Christ as your Savior, the Lord says, there's a narrow path now that I'm going to have you on before you get to paradise. And believe me, if you saw the picture of the water out there, it would look like paradise on earth. Uh, well, to get there, to get to heaven, no, there's a, a path. And, and, and there's a code, and that code is, is, is knowing Christ as your Savior. In fact, there's even a sign there that says, you know, no trespassing. And, and, and so the first thing a person has to do, Frank, is get their reservation. They've got to get their their home with Christ, their eternal security with the Lord. But then just imagine the Lord saying, now that you're a Christian, just hang out there in the room. No, he says, I'm going to have you go with a group of people who love you, who are going to become your spiritual family, and I'm going to put you on a path before you get to heaven. Now, in some cases, like with those Iranian women, those Christian women, their path has been very turbulent, very rough. Our path here in America, Frank, is really quite easy for us as believers. And and so if a, if a person in America is saying, yes, I'm one of those, I have my reservation, I have my room, but you know what, I'm just going to hang out in the room this whole trip. I'm not going to go with some of my fellow Christians across the street. That's, I, I'm not really into that. I'm not going to go on that path. I'd rather not go down to the beach. I'm just going to sit here. What our Lord would say is, well, that's not why I saved you. You know, I didn't save you to be a loner. Uh, I didn't save you to just, you know, hang out by yourself. I saved you to bless those in your family and to be blessed by them. So that was just something really cool that happened in our family that I thought, you know, wouldn't it be something, Frank, if here a year ago, the Lord had that Google card go by at that exact time, knowing that a year later, Frank and Dan would be talking, there'd be some folks listening, who maybe are sitting there with their name in the Lamb's Book of Life, sitting in their room, wondering, I think God needs to give me a sign that He wants me in church. Mm. Well, maybe this is it, my friend.
16: Dan, if you would, there are people listening right now that said, I've attended church, and I don't now because things happened in that church that I was at.
14: Yeah, by all means, Frank, uh, this happens to a lot of people. And what I like to to say to folks is this. Just because there are marriages, and maybe you even had one, where your spouse chose to cheat on you and leave you, that does not mean that every marriage is that way by a long shot. Just because perhaps you grew up in a family where you did not receive the love you needed from one or both parents does not mean there are not many wonderful families out there. And just because you may have had an experience in a church that was anything but godly, anything but graceful, anything but helpful, does not mean that there aren't a whole host of Christian churches in Southern California that would love to welcome you in, that will never judge you, uh, that, that will never you know compare you to others, that will meet you right where you're at, and and, and will help you to not, not focus so much on maybe what happened in the past, but just see that you have a bright future on your way to that paradise in heaven that's going to be a thousand times better than any earthly beach. So I, I hear that, Frank. You know, when, when folks would say that, I get that. Um, frankly, I mean some people just say I'm never gonna get married again because it was so bad and, and I think we can we can understand maybe why someone would say that, but 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 in the Bible God's encouragement is there are there are many places uh that, that you can find Christians with whom you can grow and, and really do what Jesus wants you to be doing then as a disciple uh with a group of other believers.
16: Talk about from your perspective as a pastor the importance of those of us in the congregation that we recognize the purpose of assembling in a building and saying we honor God through this vehicle called church.
14: Well, yeah, Frank, I I think about the the, uh, comment from Rick Warren that many people have uh, quoted that Christianity is not only about believing, it's also about belonging. And I think Rick hit it on the head there, What we find right out of the gate in the book of Acts is that the New Testament Church involved people together. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. And if we jump ahead to our day, uh, many of us are very individualistic. Many of us, for one reason or another, have this idea that, you know, it can be Jesus and me. I can kind of go down this path on my own or stay in my room and, and you know, do Jesus on television. Um, if some of those other Christians want to go to church, that's fine, but that's not for me. And, and what is important for us to understand, Frank, is, it, is in the Bible, those two options are not presented by the Lord to his people. What is presented uh, are all the one another's, you know, honor one another, love one another, forgive one another, respect one another, and many more of the one another's.
1: Coming up... When you
14: enlist in, in the, Lord's, uh, the Lord's service, there's going to be work to
1: do. We continue the conversation on church and contemporary American culture. In the final segment of the Christian Outlook, we'll be right back.
13: Ever get frustrated trying to grasp the true meaning of the Bible? You know, how do you apply God's Word to your life, to the way you really live? Well, you're not alone. Reading the Bible can sometimes be an overwhelming experience. That's why the Life Application Study Bible was developed. It helps people regularly reconnect with the timeless principles of Scripture, guides them to apply that knowledge to everyday decisions, shows how they should treat others, and of course gives insight to their personal relationship with God. After more than 25 years, the Life Application Study Bible remains the number 1 selling study Bible for a reason. Passages that once seemed difficult are described in context, leading to breakthroughs in comprehension by the reader. The Life Application Study Bible is available in a variety of fashions and all major translations. So pick the one that's right for you. Find out more online by visiting newlivingtranslation.com/lasb. The Life Application Study Bible, making timeless truth a personal truth. If you're the mother of a child with behavior problems, I'd like to talk to you. My name is Janet Lehman. I'm a behavioral therapist and a mom. I know what it's like when the child you love becomes a defiant, out-of-control child who disrespects you. That's why my husband, James, and I created the Total Transformation, the program that tens of thousands of moms are now using to turn around their child's behavior. If you've heard about the Total Transformation and wondered if it will work for you, now you can try it for free. I'm willing to give away a thousand programs today for free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free. I know the total transformation works because I use these techniques with my own son and with troubled kids for over 30 years. Let me prove to you that it works by giving you the program for free.
9: Call now 1 800 753 4574. 1 800 753 4574. That's 1 800 753 4574. American history is filled with heroes, but our children aren't learning about them. So our friends at Regnery Publishing have partnered with Peanuts for a new series of books that children and parents will love. What's the big idea, Charlie Brown? Where are you going, Charlie Brown? And who cares, Charlie Brown? Teach kids about great inventors, explorers, and humanitarians. Imagine learning about American history from Snoopy, Charlie Brown, and the whole Peanuts gang. Get your copy of these new Peanuts classics at your local or online bookstore today is christianity just a myth is the bible a collection of fairy tales despite what pop culture says there's plenty of evidence for the truth of the bible in his latest bestseller jesus on trial author and lawyer david limbaugh confronts the skeptics head-on part personal testimony part christian apologetic part informative evaluation of the facts jesus on trial provides a reaffirmation of faith and a challenge to skeptics that cannot be ignored get jesus on trial today at your local or online bookstore
1: Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm your host, Don Crow. I like the worship at this church that's really close to my house. For preaching, I just go online to listen to my favorite pastor so-and-so. And for support, I like this Tuesday evening group that's tailor-made for me and my needs that meets across town. Now, this is, of course, something of a caricature of where American Christians are with church commitments. The question is, what does it say about us? Let's catch a few more minutes of Pastor Dan Delzel with Frank Sontag. Can you speak
16: to the Western mindset of this, I'm going to church, I'm going to find a church that will primarily uh, tailor make uh, uh, my needs met versus obviously going to church to worship and praise God?
14: When churchgoers have been asked, Uh, the the, the top reasons they attend church, it's really revealing, not surprising, but revealing how many churchgoers in America list either as number one or way at the top that, that the purpose of the church is to meet the needs of myself and my family. Now, while that certainly is something that happens Um, that is by no means um, the number one item that is mentioned by folks who are flowing in the kind of power that you see in the Book of Acts and and in churches where where, where people are not just looking at it like they might look at a menu, Frank, and, and, you know, I'm going to go to this church because it's got all of these checks for me and my family. It really has to begin with God. You know, if, if every believer, Frank, would just... Get with the Lord and pray and pray and figure out where he wants you to be, you know, as a, as a disciple. Um, I mean, I get the fact, and I mean, you know, if I wasn't a pastor, Frank, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that for my, my wife and myself and our family, I mean, we would only be going to a church where we're being fed, where we feel like God wants us to be there. And, and I'm sure there are some listening who maybe, Frank, has never been to a church where they've been fed. Uh, You know, and so it it goes back to what I said earlier. Are you hungry and thirsty for the Word of God? If not, then there are maybe a couple options. You might be a sick spiritual babe, meaning you're in Christ, but you're not healthy. The other option is you may not yet be in Christ. So if you've not yet trusted in Christ as your Savior, given your life to Him, had your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that's the first step, to go back to my illustration earlier, to make your reservation there. At the condo. So then one day, that, that, that heavenly beach, as it, as it were, uh, is waiting for you. But between here and there, there's work to do because that's, that's what happens when God uh, basically drafts you into his army. When, when, you, when you enlist in, in the, Lord's, uh, the Lord's service, there's going to be work to do. And it's not like, well, I think I'm going to go to this unit. I think I'm going to go to that post. I think I'm going to go, you know, have them station me over here because that's where I want to be. No, you go in that case where your superiors put you. But in the case of Christianity, it's not, you know, where a pastor tells you to go. It's where God wants you to go.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Christian Outlook. Follow us on Twitter at TC Outlook. That's TC Outlook. And sign up for our new podcast at ChristianOutlook.com. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers Greg Hengler, Allie Landstrom, and Elizabeth Meyer, I'm Don Crow, inviting you to join us next time for another edition of The Christian Outlook.